What's up, y'all? You're listening to the Extra Point College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Barnes, joined as always by my co-host, Daniel Hammock. Daniel, how about them dogs? How about them? And <laughs> hello to everybody out there, except for Dan Mullen. I hope you're... <laughs> Still mad about something. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is, this is what it's all about, y'all. You know, beating rivals... You know, you could talk national championships all you want, and I'm sure any Georgia detractors, that's what they're going to first go to. But uh, it's the little things, man. This is a good weekend. It's part of what makes college football fun is beating a a rival. And so it gives you the opportunity to talk trash for another year and, you know, makes it fun. But also a great week for our picks. Great week all around. We needed it. (laughs) We needed it bad. Daniel, you went 4-2-1, that SMU push. Was just nasty. You know <laughs> so, what? Whatever. I'll take a push rather than hey. a loss, though. And Plus what a great, what a great comeback! And so that, that game was was some fireworks. Um, I went five and two, and so loving that. And then pick of the year, of the week, of course. And we'll just go ahead and talk about it. Them dogs, man. And and he, here's what I got out of the game is, you know, preseason. I think the expectation for Georgia was Georgia is one of the best four if not best three teams in the country and that they're on this level of Alabama and Clemson because of a what they've done on the field the last two seasons and then of course like what they're doing on like in recruiting what Kirby's done in recruiting since he's got to Georgia and Georgia always had good players but Georgia was not at the elite recruiting level they are right now until Kirby Smart got there and then we go into the season Georgia takes a, a big loss to South Carolina and then, you know, with the play calling from the previous week against Tennessee and then, of course, the South Carolina loss, the Kentucky game and the monsoon, a lot of Georgia fans and a lot of just college football fans in general started questioning, like, who is this Georgia team, including you and I. And my biggest frustration was I felt like the lack of creativity with play calling was the most frustrating thing because the defense we've talked about was silently the best in the SEC and one of the best in the country. And the offense has all the talent in the world, maybe some inexperience at wide receiver, this dominant offensive line it was supposed to be, and I didn't feel like they were utilizing it well. And Georgia answered every question I had on Saturday. And they came out, the creative play calling to establish the run, even though they knew it was going to be tough early, the Florida defense had zero sacks in the game. And yes, the game ended 24-17, but it was never as close as that. Uh, Barton Simmons of CBS Sports tweeted in the third quarter when it was 16-3, to he said, this lead seems insurmountable with how Georgia's defense is playing. And that was kind of, you know, how the game went. And, of course, Jake Fromm had a Jake Fromm game. And I love seeing the emotional moment between Kirby Smart and Jake Fromm at the end of the game. Oh, man. That was that was quite the moment. Um, we got to get somebody on those T-shirts for Don't Ever Doubt Jake Fromm because that's, you know, great marketing at its finest. But, Absolutely. you know... Um, maybe Fromm can get a cut of that in here in a couple of years. <laughs> hey, maybe next year, you know. Um, but he he played, you know, the kind of game we expect of him prior to, you know, if you took out the past two weeks, obviously the monsoon and then that that just stinker of a game, which he's tended to have a stinker of a game, you know, each year, but he bounces back from it. Um, but, you know, it was kind of a father-son moment between Kirby and Jake, just like, that's that's 
you know, his guy, one of the first guys he recruited as soon as he became the Georgia head coach, he flipped him from Alabama and it, you know, the rest is history from there. But, you know, like you said, this game was never, never really in doubt. Um, the way I would say that is, you know, I think I mentioned this to you after we talked after the game, Georgia, after Georgia scored their first touchdown, um, they never gave the ball back to Florida with Florida having a chance to tie the game. So Georgia scored that first touchdown and made it 10 to nothing. And then from that point, you know, Florida had the ball. They went down the field, kicked a field goal. Georgia answered with a field goal. Georgia gets the ball after half, goes down, kicks another field goal, and then, you know, keeps going back and forth from that. You know, Florida cuts it to a 16 to 10 game. Georgia goes down and scores a touchdown, two point conversion. So it was never in doubt from that perspective. Um, Even the Notre Dame game got to the point where Notre Dame could go down and score and tie it. So when you think about it, this was a dominating fashion. Um, Am I missing? There wasn't a turnover in the game, was there? There wasn't. That's a point I was going to make was. Right. You know, you can say what you want. Yes, there's probably. A really bad call on the Lawrence Cager catch, but penalties-wise, Georgia was penalized eight times, Florida was penalized six times, and Georgia had more penalty yards. And then, but you look at the the game; it was mistake-free football by both teams. Right. And bottom line is, Georgia was better, and they were a lot better. And now the question becomes: that you know, the story, the script flips from, man, this gap is closing to, oh wow, Georgia was a lot more talented and Dan better recruit if he wants to compete with Georgia because it seemed like he had closed the gap this year, especially with the way Georgia had been playing down, Florida was playing up, you know, but the script flipped in one in three hours. <laughs> well, and, you know, when you say closing the gap, there's two different ways to look at that. There's a way of is, you know, perception, and then there's a way of, hey, you know, how did the game play out? It was a seven-point game. That's true. Obviously, we talked about how it was kind of more in dominating fashion. That final score doesn't quite show how dominating the the win was um, because, you know, it wasn't completely suffocating. Georgia knew they had a little slack to give towards the end. Um, But, you know, Dan Mullen was asked after the game, how close are you to Georgia? And he says seven points away. So, you know, that's fine. I, I agree from a practical standpoint. And if you look, you know, from 2017, Georgia wins 42 to seven. Last year it was what 36 to 17, so it was a 19 point win. And then this year, 24 17, so it's a seven point win. So yes, if you look at it like that, Florida is getting you know closer to Georgia for on the field. Um, but you know, if you look, I mean, if you go year over year you know, losing talent and then not replenishing it. Florida has a lot of, you know, upperclassmen talent. Yeah. Could go pro. And they hadn't been quite recruiting on a level with Georgia. Um, I think Mullen is a great coach. I don't think he's as great of an in-game coach as people want to say he is. Um, I think that Herb Street is one of the ones he's very much gives him benefit of the doubt because it's like what we talked about earlier in the year with Chris Peterson He's a great coach, but he gets more benefit of the doubt than he really deserves. Um, he's great at developing, I think, practice-wise. I think great, great coach, developing players, 
great mindset, all this kind of stuff. Scheme. If you look at an opening script, I think he's usually one of the best at doing that. Yeah. Sort of setting up a, a play call one after the other after the other. And then Sprinklin plays in here. His playbook in general is a great playbook. But you talk about in-game adjustments. I mean, give me Kirby Smart, you know. I know one's an offensive coach, one's a defensive coach. It's difficult to always compare them head-to-head. Um, but in these games, we're going to be forced to. And I know I'm speaking as a Georgia fan, but I've watched these games very, very closely. And you can kind of look and see how a game will turn, usually in Georgia's favor, at the half if it yep. hasn't already turned that way. Um, and I was curious to see if it was going to continue this year because Mel Tucker – um, as part of the de- as the defensive coordinator the past few years before this year, obviously he's head coach at Colorado. I've always thought, hey, it may have been him. I may have been giving Kirby a little too much credit, but it's continued this year. And I think it's, um, I think the biggest thing for Kirby, and I'll get off of this. I swear, you guys, we're gonna we're gonna talk about other things. There's big news <laughs> today, but I think the biggest thing for Kirby is he is alert and aware. And can identify either a talent because when he's recruiting, or b identify exactly what's going on. And he is he's a thinking, football guy. He's thinking four and five steps ahead. His dad was a football coach. I mean, you know, you can you can pull out the the fake punt. You can pull out this. You can pull out that. Kirby's also trying to win the game. He's also a new head coach for certain things. But there are certain things in game that he just sees before other people see it. And, you know, you heard him after the game really kind of defending his his play calling and how how he prefers a game to be called because he knows the SEC very well. And he says in this league, if you do not run the ball, they're going to sack your quarterback. And so he is, you know, it doesn't matter how good your offensive line is. Now, Georgia, you know, is has one of the best offensive lines. And to this point, you know. Jacob, you'll agree with me. We've kind of said that they're overrated a little bit, but Cole Kubelik had an interesting stat this week about just how few few sacks they've given up. I think they've given up least or second least in the country. This is prior to the game, prior to the Florida game. And then their rush yardage, I think yards per rush, is um, over six yards a carry or something like that. Um, So you think about that, and they've had to play eight offensive linemen in six different – starting lineups throughout the year that's six different starting lineups that's not just like oh six different linemen it's like no we've had to flip guys shuffle guys so you saw georgia with a healthy o-line really be able to impose their will from had all day back there and florida has a good pass rush this isn't saying florida didn't have their guy they had their talent back they had their defensive ends back they they lead the nation in sacks and they did not get the from they didn't even touch him yeah, they get to from zero times. Georgia's only given up four sacks on the year. And so that does lead the country. Um, I mean, last couple of things I'll say about the game. You said it, rushing yards. So it turns out the last 14 times Georgia and Florida have played, uh, the team with the most rushing yards has won the game. Georgia came up with a game plan to make Florida one-dimensional, and they did it. Florida had negative 13 rushing yards going into the fourth quarter. Ended up with 21, and Georgia rushed for 120. And so Florida did a, actually a decent job containing the run, especially in the first half. They keyed on it. But like you talked about, that offensive line finally played like we thought they could. And by that second half, Swift was breaking these 10, 12, 30-yard runs, which then set up 
and this is the thing I was most proud of was the the route scheme that Coley called for this game. The first one I loved was the Dominic Blaylock touchdown in the, fir- in, the uh, in the first half. That first touchdown yeah. that was just gorgeous with him coming inside, getting him open on the outside like that, allowing him space to make the play, which is what we've talked about. <laughs> Get He's kind of in that H back position. Yep, like right behind the tackle, and I yep. like I like where you're talking about. But yeah, and then the other one, and then of course the Cager touchdown. Yeah, where you fake an outside run, which had been successful all game. And when you do that, you're going to make some guys pause for a second. And because Harrion was in that flat, that corner stayed home. They had a skinny post going over the middle, which left Kajer wide open by himself down the sideline. And so when your receivers are having trouble getting open, as a coach, you got to look and say, what can we do to get these guys open? And Coley answered the call on Saturday. And so big win for Georgia. This puts them right back on the playoff conversation all of their goals are still ahead of them, and this eliminates Florida from the college football playoff. And so one one more team eliminated, and, you know, Georgia lives to see another week. But let's talk about two more teams that I believe are very much showing the college football playoff uh, race. And we're going to go with two Pac-12 teams. Yeah. So Oregon and Utah both won what I think is their last big test of the season. Um, you may disagree, but I think those were – might might be the last test. Well, short of the short of the game they'll play against each other right, right, in right. the championship game. But yes, I agree. Um, and they both had to do it in similar fashion. They were both down early, and they both had to rally back. So, um, great job by both of them. Uh, it was funny because Utah seems like more traditionally more of a defensive team, and theirs was a little bit more of a shootout game. And Oregon really suffocated on defense again. I really have been impressed with this Oregon squad. They're different from your traditional Oregon team. And this is, I mean, they're they're bringing some nasty to the Pac-12, and I love it. I mean, I'd love to see how they match up now with this type of brand of ball they're playing with an Auburn that they played earlier in the year. And, you know, I think that they would, They'd probably take care of them, um, but, you know, you didn't get that luxury. You played them at the beginning of the year. and But anyways, I mean, you know, I'd love to see them match up with some of these other teams that are going to be in the playoff. I am not sure they're going to get that opportunity. Or or Utah, whoever wins. Um, I don't want to just guess that it's going to be Oregon. I, I would lean Oregon between the two. Um, but, goodness, yeah, I, I would love to see that, but I just – they need some help, you know, with some of these other games. So so I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the Pac-12 champ is in. Okay. Especially if it's Oregon. Espe- like, I think Oregon is in if they win the Pac-12. Utah has a really good chance. What do you think and- happens in the SEC? Like, let's forget Georgia for a second. Let's pretend that Georgia, you know, it's LSU and Alabama. Okay. One loses to the other. They both went out the rest of the way. You would agree? Yes, yes. Okay, one of them wins the SEC championship, and the other one gets a bye week, and we think they're both in. It all depends on who wins this week. If Alabama wins this week, I think Oregon gets gets in over a one-loss LSU. Okay, I can respect that. I see where you're coming from. And here's why. The the committee— is going to have to reward these teams for scheduling 
these big games outside of their conference. They're going to have because if they don't, people are going to stop scheduling these games. But here's the if, thing: if, if LSU like, hey, did it with Texas and went to Texas and beat them, who do you so, think is better, Auburn or Texas? I agree with you. I'm saying if that's your logic, I think the logic is only because Alabama will get the benefit of the doubt if they make the loss. If they don't lose, then the committee essentially has a clear conscience and puts a conference yeah. champion in. And that's my thing. It's like, because Oregon lost that game, I think you have to reward the, hey, you scheduled this big game, neutral site, to open up the season. Like, you won out after that. And honestly, Oregon should have won that football game. You can say yeah. that all day long. It doesn't matter. They lost. But, <laughs> and I think they want to put a Pac-12 team in because it's been a few years. We, we can say all we want is the four best teams. The bottom line is it's 12 people, and everybody has an agenda, and there's athletic directors, and there's there's agendas. I don't think it's TV agendas. I just think it's, hey, <laughs> we can't just put Alabama and Clemson every year, right? We don't know. So yeah. I think it's going to, like we said, it's college football. I think it's going to play itself out. I don't see either team losing the rest of the year. Oregon's got – Arizona at Arizona State and then Oregon State. Oregon State could be interesting, I think. They're getting more, more momentum, uh, but that game is in Austin Stadium. Utah's got UCLA at Arizona, Colorado. I don't see them losing either. And so we could get what we want, which is, you know, two 11 and 1 division champs playing for the Pac 12 championship and the Pac 12 would be the only conference other than the SEC that would have two top 10 teams playing for their conference title. And so that's why I also think it would be rewarded. And so the Pac-12 is not the worst conference of college football anymore. Looking at you, ACC. Yeah. Um, I agree. Well, y'all, we have some breaking news. All right. We have <laughs> some news that we need to talk about. It was kind of shocking today. We, uh, I'll say it was probably expected by the end of the year, but hey, it happened today, and it's probably because of the embarrassing loss yesterday. So Florida State has fired Willie Taggart as their head coach and has named Odell Hagens as their interim head coach. Uh, this comes off the heels of a 27-10 to 10 loss to rival Miami, who is not regular Miami. They they should not have beaten them that badly. Um, they're, really, they're Florida, Florida State level Miami. Yeah, they're <laughs> they should be they are peers in every sense of the word right now. <laughs> so the fact that Miami came in and did that, um, FSU looked inward and said, "Hey, I don't care that we have to pay 18 million for a buyout of Willie Taggart, and then also still three million to Oregon for his buyout and." I'll do you one better. UCF. USF. USF. Excuse me. I'm so sorry. USF. He still owed 1.3 million. So yeah, that's if you're adding up at home, that's over 20 million. <laughs> um, 22.3 million dollars that he's still getting paid to not coach. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd love that gig get paid to not coach. Um, I'm doing that right now. But <laughs> with with that news, um, Jacob and I obviously, hey, we're, we're here. We need to 
give you some candidates who you should be looking for. I really think that this was a good move because if you know you're going to move on, might as well move on now and get the first crack at whichever head coach you want. Florida State is a premier job, and so I think you'll agree, Jacob. Um, we The only possible scenario is them getting an A, a proven head coach, B, a rising star head coach, current head coach, or C, a stud coordinator from a major program. Those are probably the only three opportunities. You know, they're not going to get anybody. This won't be like when they got Taggart. No, no offense to Taggart, but that he was their last option. He was their fallback plan because they weren't expecting to lose Jimbo. So I'll say that, and they missed on a few guys. So anyways, Jacob, with that, you got some candidates for me? Yeah, before we dive into that, I just want to help diagnose like why I think it was the right decision to fire Taggart. I was wait. I thought the decision might come after this Saturday if they lose to Boston College. I thought that would be a uh, a nail in the coffin. So I'm with you. I was expecting it in the postseason. But if you look at Florida State before Tiger got there, recruiting with Jimbo, they had in 2015 the number three class, 2016 the number three class, and 2017 the number six class. And so Taggart did not walk into an untalented group of people, a group of um, a group of athletes. Very, right. very talented. You're talking elite talent, like Georgia, Alabama, like more talented Clemson. than Clemson. Yeah. More, more talented than Clemson. Clemson yeah. hasn't even recruited that, on that level. And so. Well, until this year. <laughs> until, yeah, until this right, year's recruiting. Like right class. now, I think they're number <laughs> like one. Right but yeah. Um, but then Taggart comes in. Yes, he's a first year head coach, but it's Florida State. And he's been a, you well, know, first year supposedly. There known as a recruiter in 11th and then 19th this past year has been his two recruiting classes. And so has not recruited on an elite level in 2018. Of course they lose their, you know, longest active bowl streak by going five and seven, including that big opening loss to Virginia tech at Syracuse by 23. They lose to Miami by one in a close game, got beat by 49 to Clemson. Um, got beat bad at NC State and at Notre Dame, and then killed by Florida at home. This year, they opened up with that crushing loss to Boise State for the you know that come-from-behind win Boise State had um, at Virginia by a touchdown, at Clemson by a lot, <laughs> um, at Wake by two, and then, of course, the whooping they took this weekend in Miami. I guess they didn't want to wait to get to Boston College and see if that was going to work out. <laughs> but bottom line is, Florida State, like you said, is a premier school. They were recruiting on an elite level before he got there. They've stopped doing that, and clearly he can't. You know, I guess they they saw what they needed to, <laughs> and so I think specifically as well, not just to kind of piggyback off of you with with the recruiting, it's not just the numbers for recruiting. You know, with not being in the top ten, not being in the top five like Jimbo perennially was. It's that quarterback became it was it became a an issue. There weren't numbers at quarterback. And then you had longtime commit Sam Howell flip and go to North Carolina and look at the year he's having as a true freshman. Yeah. So I think it's a few things like that. Obviously, Bailey Hockman left. I don't know how much they were actually trying to keep him. I think when Alex Hornybrook came in from, from Wisconsin, it was kind of like, okay, you can go. We've got our other veteran guy. And James Blackman, Alex Hornybrook, those are competent starting quarterbacks but just numbers wise they weren't able to keep the right numbers and 
that hurts you practice wise. That hurts you just in the game. You know, you're, you're always one play away. So, but anyways, um, candidates. So names I've read that I and then I have, I have a few I wrote down, but I've seen Mike Leach thrown around again, proven head coach, longtime head coach, offensive mind, I think Florida State fans are dying to see some offensive firepower, which is why they were thrilled when they hired Kendall Bryles as offensive coordinator. Um, I've seen Mark Stoops thrown around, um, Kentucky head coach. You know, the job he's done at Kentucky has been commendable, especially given, you know, Kentucky's place in the SEC for football. (laughs) Yeah. That's a basketball school. Um, Names I like. So only coordinator I have. I have five names that I like. Only coordinator I have written down is Brent Venables. He's been at Clemson for a long time, but I also think you could go after Tony Elliott, who's Clemson's offensive coordinator. um, Co-offensive coordinator. PJ Fleck from Minnesota, although I don't know if he would. I think he would, but I don't know if he'd leave Minnesota for um, for Florida State. Dave Clawson at Wake Forest. It's another great name. I don't know if he'd leave Wake Forest. I don't know. He's an interesting guy. But the three names I really love are, one, Mike Norvell, Memphis's head coach. And so Memphis is his first head coaching job. His first season, he went 8-5. and five. Second season, 10-3. and three. Um, Third season, 8-6. and six. This year, he's 8-1, and one, and they're looking great. And so I think he is a, a great head coach. That's one of these, like you said, these up-and-comers. Um, rising stars, you know, rising yeah. stars. Yep. And then you've got, you know, you'll love this one, Sonny Dykes. Yep. SMU. And so, Sonny Dykes has been a head coach for the last decade, and so he's a name that I think has enough experience and has proven it at several different schools. And so, he starts at Louisiana Tech, goes five and seven, eight and five, nine and three. He leaves that job for Cal, which his first year was one and eleven. Then they go five and seven, eight and five. And five and seven again. He takes over SMU. They go five and seven. They've started eight and one this year. And so Sonny Dykes, uh, offensive-minded head coach again, something I think Florida State's going to look for. And then last but definitely not least is my man Matt Rule. And although I'd hate to see him leave my Baylor Bears, <laughs> I think uh, I think he'd be another great head coach. We've talked about his head coaching record how. He's turned two programs around, going from his first year at Temple to two wins to ten wins his last year. His first year at Baylor, one win, and they're eight and zero this year. And so, those are the three that, if I'm Florida State, those are the three guys I'm going after: proven head coaches and rising star. Like I think you get kind of a good mix of both. Yeah. Okay. So your three were Sonny Dykes, Matt Rule, and um, Mike Norvell. Yeah, that's two group okay. of five coaches and one power five coach. I don't know if that rule would leave Baylor, but that's who I'm going after. Okay. Well, so I wrote down uh, 18 names. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that was largely because I was just curious as to what names are out there that people are writing down for this. So We're going to dive in deep to every single one of them. No, we're not going to. But I'm going <laughs> to list a few. Um, here's a few names that I do not think will take the job at all. But will get floated out there inevitably by everybody. Um, Bob Stoops. He's <laughs> yeah. He's just because his last name is Stoops does not mean yeah. he's going to go to Florida State. So chill. Um, he's a great coach, and he's better than you, Florida State 
no offense. This is really not meant to be. He's a grandfather, and he is not leaving unless it's a perfect job. And I don't even think he's doing for that. He left the perfect job at Oklahoma, set up to go deep into the playoffs, and he gave it to Lincoln Riley because he said, hey, you're good. I'm good. Like, he's ready to just live his life. He's made his money. I really think he just wants to be around the game. I could see him coming back to work, you know, in some capacity with media, whatever. You're going to hear Urban Meyer. Um, no way. That's not going <laughs> to So, uh, allegedly, he's had a heart condition for about 12 years now, but somehow he keeps coaching. Um, it's going to come back if he gets back in the state of Florida. So. Yeah, so USC is considered, you know, for him, all these, there's all these things that are going to float around. I'll believe it when I see it. I do think he coaches again because I think he's a liar as far as, him saying that he's not going to coach again, that would be a huge slap in the face, obviously, to Florida fans who Florida already doesn't like him anymore, but they do, but they don't. It's a it's a weird know, relationship. It's a weird relationship. They're grateful for their two championships with him, but they also don't like how he ditched them. Uh, another name that's been floated out there, Mark Richt. That's absolutely not happening. So those are three guys that are all retired. Wow. Not I hadn't seen that name thrown out. So I saw it thrown out. But I think it was probably someone who's a JV writer. So I think that, and you know, obviously everybody's got their their spin. They want to get clicks. But Mark Richt has mentioned, obviously, he was a longtime offensive coordinator under Bobby Bowden. Would be an excellent candidate if you knew anything about Mark Richt's story, though. I mean, obviously, he just suffered the mild heart attack. I think he is in the, you know, the part of his life where he's just like same with Bob Stoops. They're just enjoying being grand grandparents. And they're just enjoying their family. And he looks so much happier. He look he looks healthier. The fact that he had a heart attack was surprising um, to me, but it may have been years of stress adding up. I don't know exactly what happened. Obviously, prayers out to Rick. Love him. Great guy. He's not going to Florida State. So go ahead and cross those names off your list. Um, other names that I've seen, obviously, it's all the Mark Stoops one. I think that's a that'd be a solid hire because um, he's been. At a, at a big time school for a while. Mike Norvell, again, think that's a great, great option. I've seen both co-OCs listed from Clemson, uh, Tony Elliott and Jeff Scott. Um, I think that somebody just got happy and listed all of the coordinators for Clemson. Um, I don't think any of them leave right now for Florida State. I also don't think Florida State's super interested in them um, because Clemson was kind of made before them. Um I wouldn't go after them, and, and nothing is Brent Venables. I think he's just a lifetime coordinator, and I think he's he likes Clemson. I think he wants to stay there. His kid, his son plays there for him. Um, so I think you can cross those off the list. Matt Campbell from Iowa State was listed. Ooh. Interesting. Like that name. I think he'd be a great fit. Sonny Dykes, I agree with you. So um, I swear I'm going to narrow these down. I'm just listing them out for you guys. Uh, Charlie Strong. Can I put LOL in all caps? That's not happening. <laughs> um, nor should it happen. Um, Willie USF Fritz. USF fires Taggy Strong. Taggy yes. Strong. Taggy <laughs> Strong. <laughs> um, <laughs> Willie Fritz from Tulane. Interesting name. I think he hasn't coached long enough as a head coach to get it. Also, his first name being Willie, I think really hurts him in this. Um, so, <laughs> hurts his chances. Yeah. I like your Dave Clawson mention. I like your Mike Leach mention. Um, I don't. I, I agree. It'd be tough to see if they leave their current job opportunities. Um, I put Art Bryles down for fun. That's not going to happen, but I thought that that would be funny. And Kendall Bryles, sheer fact that he's on the staff, 
but I think that there's a lot of stink on this staff. Yeah. So there's no reason for that to happen. So if you're keeping track at home, I agree with your Norvell and your Sonny Dykes. Okay. I'll add you a Matt Campbell. Uh, yeah, Matt Campbell. And I had somebody else listed that I really. Oh, this is the one. Are you ready? I'm ready. Been saving this one up. It's out there. I've seen it nowhere. This was my own intuition. Joe Brady, LSU quarterback coach. It would not make sense from a practical standpoint. Understand I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying Florida State is at a point where they are desperate and they want the sexiest pick they can get. I don't even know anything about Joe Brady. I just know he came from the Saints and has essentially sat right next to um, Ensminger at, at LSU and apparently has made, you know, um, Joe Burrow into the greatest quarterback in the country. So Ever, ever, it, of all time. But, but here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Florida State loves their quarterbacks. They have been thirsty for quarterback play ever since Jameis left. They gave Jameis all those chances. You know, we're not going to get into that. Obviously, with, you know, uh, Jimbo being a quarterback guy, him leaving, and then them dealing with Taggart, and it's just not been pretty. Bryles, they want to fix this offense. I mean, I think they entertain the name Joe Brady. I think the smartest picks are, like what we mentioned, Norvell, Sonny Dykes, Matt Campbell. Those would probably be the three I'd stick with. Um, so, I like the Matt Campbell pick a lot. I put I love Matt Campbell. Still down the uh, DC for Auburn simply for the fact that DCs for Auburn tend to get head coaching gigs. But um, yeah, I'll stick with those three. Sonny Dykes, rising star, Norvell, he's been around, rising star, you know, one super duper 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 unsexy name. All right, prepared to just be unwild, and you're going to write it off as soon as I say it. Odell Hagens, who's going to be the interim head coach. What if he pulls a Cocho? And I'm not saying it should happen. I'm saying, what if it does happen? Florida State's going to be hurting for money. Okay, I'm just laying out the facts. They're going to be hurting for money. They're not going to want to pay one of these guys a super premium. That's why it's going to be one of these lower candidates, I think. They're not going to go get a Bob Stoops or one of these guys. They're not going to try to bring them back for all this money. It's going to be somewhat at a discount. Odell Hagens has been there 26 years on staff. He was there under Bowden. He was there under Fisher. He, I'm just throwing it out there. If he finishes the year strong and Florida State's looking like Florida State, he's a Florida State guy. I feel like they they hire Hagens. Um, if he had a pick, he like Florida State will hire. Who 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 are you picking? Oh, <laughs> uh, you want to go first? <laughs> What's your gut? Sonny Dykes. <sighs> yeah, I I think he's the best mix, like I said, of like um like a on like rising star, but has also proven it at three different schools and has been a head coach for a decade because again, this is Florida State. This is not like Kentucky. This is not <laughs> Wake Forest. This is like, this is Florida State who should be competing on the same level as Clemson. And so they got to go get a guy. To me, they took their chance with Taggart 
you can't take any more chances. You got to go get a guy who's proven it. Taggart was the closest thing to taking a chance you're going to get. And so I think you go get Sonny Dykes. He's only 49 and so relatively young. And he's, um, a, you know, his offense has been great this year. So yeah. that'd be a really, you know, I think it'd be a great hire. Um, I'll go with you. I'll say, like, we'll say that the extra point pick would be Sonny Dykes. But um, I don't know. My gut, I mean, I just watch out for Odell Hakins. I don't. I like it. I don't, you know, I just did not believe in Coach O until Coach O made me believe. Because he got hired after they finished out the year, and then they didn't have a great next year. And then, you know, he's really evolved as a head coach, and he's always been a great recruiter. So, I don't know. Interesting to watch. We'll definitely be keeping an eye on it. Um, But, yeah, for any Florida State fans that are listening, definitely don't mean any disrespect when we say those things. You just don't need to pay attention to those big, big names because they got to pay a lot of money to Willie to not coach. So, Bob Stoops, Urban Meyer, go ahead and cross them off the list. They're not coming and nor do you really want them to come. You want to have a fresh start. You want to brand a guy as your guy. You don't want some recycled name. Sonny Dykes, I think, because he's been hiding out in obscurity where people don't really know about him, he would be a fresh name, and you could brand it as a Florida State head coach, and he could be there for a long time. I'm just going to throw one more name out that I thought about. I don't think it's what happened, but... James Franklin. Yeah. I think the only problem I would say with that argument is that he's already at a destination job for him, and I think he'd prefer to stay in the Big Ten. But I agree. That's there. I just think like that'd be a gr- that'd be a A plus plus hire, yes, I think. They'd get my like well, four state gonna win recruit. ten games next year. Like yeah. and so yeah. He's gonna recruit. He's I, gonna I just say him guys. because yeah, he's recruited. He's wanted a place where you can't win in Vanderbilt. Um, he's doing well in the Big Ten. I think he's in Ohio State's shadow in the Big Ten. I think like I think you have a better chance to win your conference at Florida State than you do at Penn State. And so okay. then that, that's not like going out on a limb. But well, uh, no, I mean that from a standpoint of saying you're essentially saying Clemson's more beatable on a year in year out basis than Ohio State. I would agree with you. Which is that is somewhat of a hot take because Clemson's won two of the last three national championships. So you that's a bold statement. You can't compete recruiting wise with Ohio State in the Big Ten because you got to recruit nationally. Like at Florida State, you've got all the talent in your own state, and then you also go recruit out of Atlanta. Like you've yeah. got this recruiting in Alabama. There's talent this, all all in that yeah. area. You've got this recruiting footprint at Florida State that you don't have at Penn State. And Ohio State is winning the recruiting battle, and so that's that's why I say that. But hey, that's well, mad respect. That's a good one. Well, let's talk about our rankings, and then we'll hit kind of a uh, what Tuesday might look like. This coming Tuesday, we've got the first college football playoff rankings of this season, and so let's talk about our rankings first. Uh, the top four is unchanged. You've got Ohio State, LSU, Alabama, and Penn State, who all had bye weeks, and so unchanged there. Um, Clemson. Stays at five. Georgia was it um, was it seven? They're not six. So Georgia big win over Florida. We've got Oregon and then Oklahoma, Utah and Baylor rounding out the top ten. Florida and Auburn are 11-12 looking just on the outside. 
So, Daniel, we've got the first college football playoff rankings on Tuesday. Who do you think will be the committee's top four and in what order? Give me five and six, too. We'll say first two out. Okay. Well, I think they're definitely going to put LSU number one um, just because they have shown, like what we talked about, resume matters. Um, My hope would be that they would put Ohio State number two just because of how the games have played out. And Wisconsin is a very formidable foe. And Ohio State vanquished them with relative ease, even in some weather. But my gut is they're going to go LSU, Alabama, then Ohio State, which I don't think is correct. And then I think they put Clemson number four um, because I don't think they – well, here's two things. I don't think that they forget year over year like they claim they do. Also, Clemson, as much disrespect as I've been giving them, they have really – Ever since that close win against North Carolina, they flipped the switch and they've been pounding people. Granted, they just played Wofford, they spanked them, but they it was you know they they did what they had yeah, to do. Yeah, how you play. And then there's been a there's been a couple games here recently where they've really risen to to be, to better heights, I guess. Um, so I do think Clemson will be number four, and then I think by default Penn State will be number five. Um, and I think Georgia is going to hang in at number six. I think the win did everything for them against Florida. I think Florida is going to be highly regarded. I think Florida is probably going to be the highest ranked two loss team, which is what we have them in our rankings. I don't know where that will be necessarily, but I think they're going to have a lot of respect for Florida because of the schedule they've played thus far. And because of that respect for Florida, I think they're going to keep Georgia as number six. So Georgia and Penn State will be the first two out. My one through four that I expect the committee to put will be LSU, Alabama, Ohio State, and then Clemson. Alabama ahead of Ohio State? I don't believe they should, but I believe they will. You think they will? Huh. So but I here's, think – One last point on that. Alabama has looked dominant as well. Also has, has played less people than Ohio State, but because of Mac Jones coming in and pounding Arkansas, terrible Arkansas. Arkansas is terrible, everybody. I'm acknowledging that. And Chad Morris is the next coach to be fired. (laughs) But backup quarterback coming in and the tide continuing to roll just like nothing changed. I think that that also gets them some respect in that category. I think you're going to be looking at one and two in those rankings playing on CBS next Saturday. So that's what I think. Anyways, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. You're good. So I wrote down based on our rankings – all the top 10 teams, how many top 25 wins, like given the current rankings each team has. So Ohio State has two. LSU has two. Alabama has zero. Penn State has one. Clemson has zero. Georgia has two. Oregon, um, Oklahoma, and Utah all have zero. Baylor has one. And so if you're talking best resume – plus best teams, Ohio State and LSU are going to be number one and two. I do think it is LSU at one, although I disagree with that. But the committee has shown uh, the past several years that it will be most deserving and not best teams. Right. So maybe this is the year they change that. I hope the committee finally figures it out and chooses to put the four best teams in. But um, they'll have LSU one. I expect Ohio State to be number two based on resume. And so, like I said, currently ranked teams. We'll see what the committee's rankings look like, but I fully expect um, 
Wisconsin and Cincinnati to make their top 25, which would give Ohio State two ranked wins. Uh, Alabama will not have a ranked win just because, I mean, Texas A&M is not going to be ranked, and that's Alabama's best win. But, again, it all works itself out. If they play LSU this week, they win that. It's not going to matter. So I have Alabama as three, Clemson at four. And so same top four as you. I just switched two and three, and then five and six, same as well. I think they'll have Penn State. They're undefeated. Uh, they actually have the second best strength of record in the country. Um, and then Georgia at six, who is the only one lost team with two top 25 wins with wins over Florida and Notre Dame. And so I think best win of the season right now, given our rankings, is LSU over Auburn, even though that game was in Baton Rouge. And then second best one of the season, given our rankings, is Georgia over Florida. And so, and then you got Ohio State over Wisconsin, just given our uh, our rankings that we have. And so, um, what about yeah. Kansas State over Oklahoma? Hey, that's a great win. <laughs> Sorry, I was talking top ten teams. Top no, 10. I know, I'm just teasing. <laughs> so, hey, great win. And hey, they're moving up in the rankings. They're rolling right now. Big statement win at Kansas over the weekend. So. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we. Um, I'm interested to see how the committee does things. Obviously, you mentioned, you know, we we say the committee as though it's the same every year. They do a good job. You know, obviously they rotate people out. Their process, I think, largely stays the same. And you know, there's going to be natural biases and different things like this. I'm interested to see how different it is from. First of all, the AP, because that's, I think, the most respected poll that doesn't matter. And then, you know, I, I'm interested to see how it matches up with our rankings, with it, what we do. And, um, you know, obviously we joked about it before, but so we could replace them. But, you know, we're, we're the new BCS or whatever. But, you know, we're just <laughs> we're obviously playing around, but we're interested to see you know, how closely these rankings, you know, come up with this, because it's not just about, you know, the top 25, 30 teams, whatever in, in the nation, you you have a pretty good idea of that as the season plays on, everybody does, but it's how, you know, especially this top 10 and more specifically the top six or eight, how do you position those people? Because uh, in the top four, those seedings are going to be important. Obviously the four is the most important getting in the top four, but um, you know, seating will be important as far as where you play. Uh, you got to think about your fans traveling. I don't, you know, I look at this top six. I don't see any of them having a problem um, with fans traveling to any of these locations. Um, Penn State would be the only one that I'm even looking at and saying, just because geographically they're not going to be, you know, necessarily close. Um, Ohio State would not be close. Let me say that. I'm not, you know, stupid but i think that their fans travel everywhere i don't know about penn state's fans i know we are penn state it's great but they travel okay well then there goes my argument so <laughs> but i'm excited for tuesday it'll be great to see what the committee values that's always fun to see is like what they're looking for um i think it'll tell us a lot this coming tuesday but that'll do it for this edition of the extra point college football podcast we will be back on thursday with our extra points uh picks for week 11 we'll see you on thursday Yo!